Well, it's sure good to see you all this morning, and I hope that each and every one of you have had a wonderful time over Christmas and um, with friends and loved ones and family and all. Um, I say it again, thank you so much for praying for us um, as we were with our our uh, daughter and her family and, and uh, uh, watching little our grandson, little Hudson, as uh, Livy uh, underwent another round of chemotherapy. And uh, she will now move on uh, in the next couple of weeks to uh, surgery uh, in the middle of January. Uh, Monday the 16th, uh, they will um, uh, do surgery to remove the tumor from her. And I've mentioned to some of you... Um, uh, we just continue to see um, uh, God's wonderful provision and God's uh, blessing in the in spite of this. Um, and little Livy is uh, becoming uh, quite a spitfire. Uh, you know, not just in having to deal with the chemo, but just this is the way little Olivia is. Uh, so we're um, we're looking forward to getting back and being with them, and uh, thank you for praying uh, for her. And uh, please um, make it a point to continue in prayer for Grace and her family, Grace Ernst. Please uh, keep them in your prayers um, and pray that God would be glorified in the service on Tuesday. Um, and we want to uh, just echo what's been said already. Uh, if you want to give in any way, uh, please make your donations to Fallon Christian Fellowship and uh, send it on over there in light of uh, the family's wishes, okay? Um, so, uh, Sunday, January 1st, 2017. We were talking last night about looking ahead to the year 2000. You remember that? And that was really like, oh, the big, gloomy, dark shadow over the whole world coming because the year 2000 was coming. Y2K, right? Is that how we say it? Y2K, yeah. And nothing really much happened. Um, And God continues to be on the throne. Hallelujah. Okay? And what's in store for us? Another new year. Uh, obviously, new leadership in our country, new opportunities, new adventures, and always, always, always new challenges. Challenges that uh, sometimes we think we're all alone in. And if you're a believer in Jesus Christ, you need to just keep reminding yourself of what we want to keep saying here this morning. Who are you? Who are you, really? What does the Bible say that you are? Okay, so keep that in mind. We don't want to take things for granted as we go into this new year. We don't want to get caught trusting in America. Oh. Don't put your trust in America. Don't put your trust in new leadership or a renewed healthy economy. Remember what the Bible says. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding, in all your ways, in all your ways. It doesn't say just on Sundays. It doesn't say at Bible studies. It says, in all your ways, acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. And that's a simple statement. It's a simple reminder from Scripture. But how often do I get caught drifting from that? 
so you and I are challenged here by the Word of God in this. Um, in this new year, as with every day, you and I must keep our focus on Jesus Christ. He is the living Word. The Word made flesh. He is... And, and keep our focus on what the Bible says. Why? That's the written Word. Here's the living Word and the written Word. You keep your eyes on Jesus Christ and the Bible and what the Bible is telling us. Let's get in the habit of reading the Bible. If you want to, start in Genesis. Okay? My seven-year-old grandson has beaten me already. He's, he's in Genesis chapter 10 or something. He got a Bible for Christmas. Okay? Read the Bible. Read through it. Ask God for His direction in it. Okay? And daily drink in and fill up on God's grace this new year. That's what we need for salvation. And your salvation is today and through the rest of this week and on and on and on. Grace is what we need to make it. And here's the strength that God gives us, the nourishment that he gives us. It's all under this heading of grace. Okay? So, you... Continue, you as a believer, continue to identify yourself as God has done so in His Word. He declares us to be His children. So live like that, walk like that, think like that. You know, learn from what the Word says about what it means to be a child of God. And so that's a generalized kind of opening. And more specifically, what's in store for us here at Parkside Bible Fellowship? Well, this year, the elders, uh, we've decided to go through the book of Exodus, if you haven't heard already. Um, we're going to uh, open up the book of Exodus. And um, it's just not, uh, don't get caught thinking uh, this is an old, old story, like it's an old, some kind of myth. It's historical. And it's foundational, Okay. So the majority of our preaching calendar for 2017 will be in this amazing book. And in this study of the book of Exodus, um, we will be tracking this one theme. Okay, This one theme. We, we must remind ourselves over and over again of this one theme. The Lord told the people of Israel to tell their children and their children's children and their children's children's children and the next generation and on. Tell them of this story. The story that was faithfully passed down throughout the ages of the Exodus and in particular, the theme that you and I must hold on to is the theme of redemption. The theme of redemption. We cannot lose track of this, folks. Um, it, it might kind of sound like it's being redundant. Well, amen to that. You know, we, we need the reminders of what redemption is about. It's the story, Exodus is a story of redemption. The story of God redeeming his people. Not the story of the people and the story of Moses, but of God redeeming his people. And so, um, just without looking it up, you can mark it down if you're taking notes. Exodus 6, Exodus chapter 6, verse 6 and 7 says, uh, it's God speaking to Moses and instructing him to tell the people, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. And listen to this. He says this 
time and time again here, just in these two verses, I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will deliver you from the slavery to them. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great acts of judgment. I will take you to be my people. I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord, your God, who has brought you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. Okay? Now that song, if you will, because that's what we uh, can label it as, it's the song of the redeemed. The song of the redeemed. And that goes all throughout Scripture. All throughout Scripture. That's why we say, hey, let's go after Isaiah 43, verse 1. Okay? You know, God saying, I have created you. I have formed you. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. So if you're saying you're a Christian, you are God's possession. Okay? You're God's possession. Now, God's work in delivering Israel was a historic event. In the message of Exodus, we understand it was all about God and all about His power. He demonstrated His power in redeeming these people, in bringing them out from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. And this all happened as fact. And yet, it sets up the stage for something even greater. It sets up the stage for seeing God at work in a much greater way by saving His, saving His people from their sins. So, redemption is our theme throughout Exodus. And here's an easy way to break down a, a, a simple little outline of Exodus. And number one is the Exodus. <laughs> Chapters 1 through 18. Then it's the, the law. The law comes next, the giving of the law. And that's chapters 19 through 24. So in those first two, here's the Exodus, God's great work. It's God's great work. Secondly, the law is God's great word. His great word. And then third is the tabernacle. The tabernacle, pointing out God's great worth and His worship. Okay? And that takes us from chapter, that third one is chapter 25 through 40, simply stated. And obviously in the um, next week, Pastor Brennan will open it up and we'll get more detailed as we go along uh, and, and uh, pull out more truth uh, regarding uh, this amazing story and this amazing book. We emphasize this. This is the starting point of this great theme. It serves as the history, the very core of the history of Israel. Okay? And it shows God's great power is greater than the greatest country in the world at that time. It shows that um, this, this study in Exodus shows that he will not tol- God will not tolerate man in his rebellion, in his rejection of God, in his worship of any uh, any other created thing. God's not going to tolerate that. And thus, in that time, he demonstrates that. It's not just rescuing his people. It's, here's judgment poured out on an ungodly people. And in Exodus... We can also see a plan for society, if you will. The plan for society like a country like America. 
building its, its, uh, from a very foundational perspective, a country being able to say, here's, here's the, the aspects of the law. Our, our branches of the law, uh, the branches of our government here in the United States. You know, being able to track where that all came, where did that all come from? Where, was that the founding father's idea? Well, yeah, they, they, they put it together. But where, their resource was the Scriptures, specifically the book of Exodus, where God gives His law. So, um, this book also points us to how God overrides any of man's efforts, how God was, how God is, and how God will continue to be fully in charge, showing His sovereignty over all the mighty and powerful kings, namely Pharaoh. God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And God can take the king and and turn his heart whatever, however he wants to. So that means princes. That means dictators. Right? Caesars. And on. Any kind of ruler. God is in charge. God is in charge. And obviously in Exodus we have what we call shadows or types. Uh, if you were in Mike Parrish's Sunday school class of a year or so ago, um, they w- went through, here's Jesus in the Old Testament. The shadows, the types of, you know, uh, pointing to something far greater. That's what we see in Exodus many times over. That Christ is our great Redeemer. That Christ is the Passover Lamb. So, um, I want to share this from uh, J. Sidlow Baxter, an old teacher that obviously has passed away, um, gone on to be with the Lord. But J. Sidlow Baxter in his commentary gives a list of comparisons and contrasts that it's very helpful so, um, first is the comparisons regarding Exodus and what's to come in the gospel. Okay? J. Sidlow Baxter saying this, The Exodus brought a mighty emancipation for Israel. The gospel brings deliverance from the guilt and penalty and bondage of sin. The Exodus centered on the Passover and slain lambs, plural, The gospel centers on the great Passover, the Lamb of God, singular, who takes away the sins of the world. The Exodus became forever afterwards commemorated in the Passover feast. So Christ is our Passover sacrifice for us. So there's some comparisons. And here's some contrasts that J. Sidlow Baxter gives. The blood in Exodus put on the doorposts at the time of the Passover, was merely that of an animal. In the Gospel, it is the precious blood of Christ. In one case, many lambs were slain. In the other case, Christ was the only one slain. One for all. The Exodus was national. And therefore, limited. The Gospel is universal. Take the gospel around the world. Take it to all tribes, all tongues, all nations. The one 
was delivered from physical bondage. The other is delivered from spiritual bondage. The one was deliverance from the temporal. Yes, it was many years, but it was still temporal. The other, the gospel, is deliverance regarding eternity. I want that to sink in. You and I were not built for 60, 70, 80, 90 years and that's it. You were created to spend an eternity with your Creator. The one, the Exodus of the Old Testament, was had opened up the way to an earthly Canaan, a promised land, right? The other opens up the way to heaven itself. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes unto the Father but through me. John 14, 6. So, that's a, an opening here regarding the Exodus, the book of Exodus. Just a couple of weeks ago, um, two weeks ago, we looked briefly at uh, the man Simeon in Luke chapter 2, who was looking for the consolation of Israel. There's another example of this is issue of constantly looking for, hoping for the day of redemption. Okay? Same thing with Anna. Later on in Luke chapter 2, this woman Anna, the prophetess, who after seeing Jesus, began to give thanks to God and to speak of Him to all who were waiting for the redemption of Israel. The Bible is full of this theme regarding God's work of redemption. Um, and here, here's some examples from the book of Psalms. Just jot it down, if you will. Psalm 107. Psalm 107. Just jot it down. Here it is. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for He is good. For His loving kindness is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. You know, that's what the redeemed are supposed to be, you know, having ready to share. The, the, the loving kindness of God. It's everlasting. Psalm 130, verse 7 and 8 says, O Israel, hope in the Lord, for with the Lord there is loving kindness, and with Him is abundant redemption. Abundant redemption. And He will redeem Israel from all His iniquities. So, this is the testimony of the redeemed found throughout the whole Word of God. And it should be found in you as a believer. This theme ought to be coming forth in your life, in mine, in our words, in our thoughts. Are you redeemed? Let the redeemed say so. Okay? But many who say that they're Christians, many do not understand what is really meant by saying, I'm redeemed. We sing about it. Do we really know what it means? Just what is redemption? What does it mean to be redeemed? So here's, here's some offerings in regards to definitions. Redemption speaks of debts being paid. We know about that. Many of us have debt that we have to pay off. Right? But it's also not just about debts being paid off. It's about freedom being purchased as with a slave. Now, we don't understand that much in our, in our culture. We don't get slavery. We, we know about it, but we've not experienced it. These people 
they, they understood that. Can you imagine living in those days in Egypt? You're a people that doesn't have a country. And you're, what are you making? You gotta make a brick another day. Tomorrow, you gotta wake up and make more bricks. Next week, next month, you gotta wake up and make more bricks. Gee, that's exciting. Okay? So, the idea of the slave being purchased out of his bondage was to turn his life or her life around to be in a brand new direction from what was previously experienced. Wayne Grudem, who wrote Systematic Theology, says this, because we as sinners are in bondage to sin and to Satan, we need someone to provide redemption. Who is that someone? Jesus. And thereby, he continues on, thereby redeem us out of that bondage. Let me just stop and and just say, everyone in here, whether you say you're a Christian or not, do you understand that before coming to know Christ, you were in bondage to sin? That's your condition. That's what... And for me, I say I'm a believer. That's what I was past tense. I was in bondage to sin. But Jesus redeemed me. Freed me so that I might live for Him. That's what all Christians ought to be saying. He has freed me from the bondage of sin. Okay? So when we speak of redemption, the idea of a ransom now comes into perspective here. A ransom then is what? The price that is paid to redeem someone from their bondage and captivity. So redemption, you got to have a ransom first to be redeemed. The ransom was paid. The redemption is the result of our ransom being paid. Mark chapter 10 verse 45 says, For the Son of Man came, what? Not to be served, right? But to serve and to give his life, offer up his life a ransom for many. That's his, that was his mission. And so, as, as we would figure, we would then conclude he is our redeemer. He said it. That's what his mission was. Came to fulfill this whole concept of redemption. Redemption is completed, finalized, fulfilled in Jesus Christ. What it's waiting on is you who have not yet professed him as Lord and Savior. That's what, that's what is still not, that's still what is not fulfilled. If you've not yet submitted yourself to, um, uh, bowed before him, uh, professed him, confessed him as Lord of your life, then it makes no effect on you. And you'll stand in judgment before a holy God, having rejected that offer, having rejected that gift. Please do not continue to say, I don't need him or I don't believe. Or We would urge you, come to faith in Jesus Christ. Don't trust in anything else for getting right with God. Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Put your faith in Him. 
I'd like to mention some verses here that help us um, understand this idea more. First, just jot it down. First Corinthians one verse thirty says, "But of Him you are in Christ." But uh, here's God's work to put you in Christ through faith in Him. And Jesus became for us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. We can say He is our redemption. Secondly, Ephesians chapter 1 verse 7. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. And now turn to Colossians chapter 2. I've thrown a bunch of verses at you. (laughs) But right now, turn to Colossians chapter 2. If you're using a Bible that's in the pew there, it's page 984 in your pew Bible. Colossians chapter 2, starting at verse 13. Here's what you were before Christ, before faith in Christ. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. Okay? Living by the desires of your flesh. Living for yourself. Doing what comes naturally, not spiritually. You were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made alive together with Him. You were made alive through faith in Christ. You were made alive to Him, uh, uh, made alive together with Him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by, look at verse 14, look at it, by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. Okay? And I want to just share this brief commentary from pastor and author John Barnett. Here's what he says about this verse that we just read. Listen carefully. We were dead guilty, we were convicts, headed to the just recompense all our sins deserved. The legal obligations of debt was an illustration that Paul used. He used a picture they all understood. The rule of law reigned in the Roman Empire that surrounds the New Testament times. Each time a person was convicted of a crime... The law courts that convicted them also produced a certificate of debt that listed the exact crime and the punishment that had to be paid before the criminal would be freed. The convicted criminal or debtor would have to sign the certificate, acknowledge the debt or punishment for the crime was rightfully his. The certificate then was nailed to the door of the cell where they were imprisoned. Or, in cases of execution, like the crucifixion, where was that placed? It was nailed to the cross. And that person was crucified. Crucifixion was, that was the execution for the Romans there. They got it from another empire, but that was the big thing. It was the worst kind of execution you could suffer. But for those that were just in, in, imprisoned, they were there until their sentence was completed and their crimes were 
paid for. So can we not see the debt of certificate placed over Christ's head on the cross? This is how redemption ought to hit us. It was my list of debt, my list of violations, my list of trespasses that was on that certificate over Christ's head. It was yours on that list. And He paid the price. He had to pay it by through death. Always reminding us that Christ bore our sins. It was our guilt, our personal guilt. And they were taken off of us and placed on Christ. My sins were all put on Christ. Your sins were all put on Christ at the crucifixion. Nailed to His cross as His own punishment, He paid the penalty for them all. And by doing so, he was the propitiation for our sins. Thus saying that he satisfied the just wrath of God against all the crimes that I committed. And a lot of times we, we just categorize these crimes against God as just really bad ones. And yet what we've got to understand is the Bible doesn't say it's just, oh, if you just murder somebody or have an adulterous affair or whatever. It's, it's all sorts of Issues of just saying no to God. No, I'm going to do it my way. Of trusting in myself or some other, some, something else. Or even, here's worship of some idol. And we all say in our wonderful civilization, oh, we don't do idolatry. We don't do that. Baloney. It sneaks in. And that's the, that's the issue with sin. It's so subtle. That's the issue with Satan. Satan's not going to walk around in a red suit with a tail. And the pitchfork, no, he's very subtle in it. And the temptations that you face are very subtle. They're not big, huge things. It's just, here's little subtle things. I I just want to turn you just a little bit away from keeping your eyes on Jesus. After all, you you better be a good person. You you know, God, God wants you to be a good person. And that subtly builds in my mind that, oh yeah, it's, it's based on my being a good person, that He loves me, that He accepts me and all that. So I want to be a good person. Well, yes, that, you know, we got some lines to navigate here, right? Your goodness with God is totally based on the person of Jesus, nothing else. I have no goodness, nothing, no righteousness of my own. It's all based on Christ, all of it, not Apart on me, yes, I'm supposed to respond to the work of the gospel in my life with faith and obedience. We'll see that in a little bit. But listen, when now go go to the cross in your mind and, and say, what did he say there that was so famous? He said at the end of his life there on, on the cross, he said, it is finished. And in essence, what he was saying was what? Regarding redemption? Hey, I paid it in full. It's paid in full. Okay? He paid the ransom price that was figuratively held over each one of us as slaves. Your debt was paid in full. Now you can move ahead and move on and go forth as a totally free person. Free from, not to do whatever you want to do, but free from the bondage that you were held in by sin, by Satan. 
you're no longer a slave to sin. Romans 6 tells us we ought to be considering ourselves slaves to who? Slaves to God. So, paid in full is what he cried out. Once and for all, completed for man's uh, redemption. Paid in full is what he in essence would say to each one of us when we come to confess our sins. He would say, paid in full. Paid in full is what he declares as our advocate in heaven while standing before God the Father. As Satan comes to accuse you, well, there you did it again. Accusing you. Accusing you. That's what Satan is. He's the accuser. He wants you and I to doubt, you know, really the fact that Christ paid it in full. Paid in full is what we should hear that I've been redeemed. If you're a believer, you've been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. It's this, it's our song. It's the song of the redeemed. Forever singing it in heaven. Revelation chapter five, 4 and 5. They're forever singing this in heaven, basically. Of God's great redemption. This is the way we are to be motivated to live pure lives because we've been redeemed. Titus chapter 2, verse 11 through 14. Just mark it down. Titus chapter 2, 11 through 14. For the grace, listen, for the grace of God has appeared bringing salvation to all men. That was the first advent. That's what we just celebrated. His first advent in coming as a babe. And he brought salvation. The word made flesh. Thus, the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men, instructing us to deny ungodliness and worldly desires and positively to live sensibly, righteously, and godly in the present age. This is crucial to us, folks. Titus, what Paul is saying to Titus here in chapter 2. Then he goes on to say, in looking for the blessed hope. Do you think that it could happen in 2017? We better think it could. What? His second return. His, his, his second coming. The Lord's return. He promised that. He said it. God pro- prophesied it. Then Jesus started talking about it. I'm going to return again and take you to where I am. I'm going to go and prepare a place for you and I will bring you there. Are we going to live in that kind of a light, in light of that? Will we live in light of that, looking for his return? But it goes on to say, looking for the blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior, Christ Jesus, who gave himself for us that he might redeem us. And it doesn't stop there. Redeem us from every lawless deed. And then purify for himself a people for his own possession. There's that thing again of my people. If you're a Christian, this is again, here's our identifying factor. We're thinking of ourselves as God's own possession. Zealous for good works. So, as a believer, you can say, because I'm redeemed, I'm set free from every lawless deed and from sin's bondage, to be zealous for good works. Here's the thing. This is where we can get motivated about um, not just saying, well, I have faith, but I have faith, and that faith energizes me 
it's God's spirit energizing me to be zealous for good works. Think about that for this year. That's redemption when we are certainly um, showing that here's not just a head knowledge of faith and what Jesus did, but zealous for good works. Some of you are already involved in good works. Others, it might be that we're just kind of sitting around. Well, I got my ticket to heaven. I'm good. See, true faith means that there's works coming forth from it, action happening with it as a result of it. You don't turn them around. It's not, you're not saved by works. You're saved by faith, and that faith ought to have the action of works following it up. That's what Paul says here in Titus chapter 2. To, so that we would live as God intended us to live as His people. Remember, 1 Corinthians 6, another one to write down, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, you are not your own. You've been bought with a price. There's the ransom. You've been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body. Not just in your thoughts on a Sunday morning. Oh, I, I, you know, high thoughts of God on a Sunday morning. No. Glorify God in your body no matter what you're doing in all of life. Whether you eat or drink, the lowest kind of things that we need, we've got to do, eat and drink. Whether you eat or drink, do all for the glory of God. Okay? This is what redemption brings about. And this is the theme that we will remind ourselves of and emphasize throughout our study in Exodus. This is my identity. This is your identity as a believer. It's the believer's song of praise. What did we just sing before we went into the message? Did we forget already? Mm, There is a Redeemer. There is a Redeemer. There is a Redeemer. You've been purchased out of the slave market of sin by a perfect Savior. Would you rejoice in that? And what a great setup for communion. There's not much better of saying, and I want to remember what He has done. His perfect work that no one else could have done. That no group of people could have collaborated on to build up and and accomplish. No, only one could do it. The perfect, spotless Lamb of God takes away the sins of the world. Communion is a time for remembering His work of redemption. I hope you, you will today give glory to God in your thoughts so that your actions and your words, everything coming out of your life can reflect that very thing. Glorify God and thank Him. Thank Him over and over and over again for His perfect work of redemption how He purchased us out of the slave market of sin. I'd like for the men who are serving to come up at this time. And for you folks right now, if you will please just be preparing your hearts by confessing your sins, by confessing your need, by asking God to help you give Him honor and give Him glory as we partake